Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning again, everyone. If you're just now joining us, I want to welcome you again. My name is Rhett. I have the honor of being the lead pastor here at One Life Church. It is great to have you with us today. Hey, are you glad to be in church, everybody? Hey, I want to do this. Before we jump into the message, I do something that we do every week, and I want to welcome our online church podcast family. Come on, One Life Church family in the room. Put your hands together. Show some love to our online church podcast family. Hey, we love you so much, and hey, we understand that you may not have been, been able to be with us today, but wherever you are listening and joining us on this journey today, we just want to tell you how much we love you, how much we miss you. You are our family, and we cannot wait to see you soon. Well, all right, before we jump into this message, my friends, we are a message note-taking church, so I want you to pull out your smartphone, your dumb phone, your laptop, your computer, go to olc.church, come on, play along with me, go to olc.church, swipe down hit the button that says message notes. Why do we do message notes? We do that for you. We want to help you. Not only do we want to inspire you on a Sunday, but we want to give you some practical tools in your hand for Monday through Saturday with God's Word. What's really cool about our online message notes is that you can save a PDF format to your phone. You can save it to your computer. You can email it to yourself, or you can email it to family or friends who are not here today with you, or you could just have it throughout the week. And so this is for you. We are a message note-taking church, so get ready to follow along today. All right. So as I already, I'm just going to go ahead and give another disclaimer because our online church podcast family is joining us right now. Uh, your pastor's been a little under the weather this week. It's because weather has been changing. It happens to me every year. It's called a head cold, everybody. And, uh, and so I'm kind of hopped up on a little bit of medicine this morning, okay? And so I'm giving you that disclaimer to let you know if you look at me or you're hearing it for the first time uh, on the podcast today, if I seem a little spacey, it is the medicine that I'm on. Uh, I'm okay, but I'm on some cough medicine, so I don't cough. I'm using the handheld microphone for a reason today, so if I cough, I'll cough into here. We'll be all healthy, so nobody's sitting on the front row. We're good, okay? So, all right, so we're in this series called The Daniel Dilemma. We're in part two of that series today, and here is my hope. My hope is to teach us how to live well, how to stand firm, how to love well in a culture of compromise, And even answer the question today and throughout this series, is it even possible to be a light in the darkness? Is it even possible to live in the world but yet not be defined by it? Listen, one of the greatest tensions we have, you guys, I'm speaking to Christians today, one one of the greatest tensions or dilemmas that you and I face is how do we live godly? Or do we how do we live out this relationship with God in an ungodly culture? And that is the dilemma, my friends, that we face. And that is what this series is all about. And last week, we started off this series in week one. And I brought a message. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. I talked about truth and grace. And without re-preaching the message, the bottom line was this. I talked about how as Christians, we're called to live with truth and grace. We're called to live in this culture with truth and grace. Truth by itself is mean. Grace by itself is meaningless, but when you put truth and grace together, my friends, it is medicine. It's medicine. It brings healing, and God has called us, my friends, as Christians in this culture 
to live with truth and grace. So if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go back. You can listen to it at uh, Apple iTunes or go even to our website at olc.church. But today, listen, if you like teaching, you're going to like today. If you're, if you're one of those uh, people like, man, pastor, take it deep, man. Like, I want to go deep. Like, you're going to love today. If you're not so much into teaching and you don't like things so deep and you'd rather have a little bit surface level, come back next week. Next week's message is going to be a little bit different, okay? But today we're going to go a little bit of deep into the pool. And what I want to do today is really I want to talk about what this ungodly culture is all about. I want to kind of explain it to you. And I want to start with this thought. And that is, my friends, put this on the screen. We'll either set the culture or we'll reflect the culture. In other words, we as Christians will either influence culture or we'll be influenced by the culture. We'll either be a thermostat or a thermometer. And for the love of Jesus, I've been married 14 years. You want to know the secret to having a happy marriage, everybody? Leave your hands off the thermostat. Let your wife just take care of that one. You know what I'm saying? I am freezing, but I'm happily married, everybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Happy wife, happy life. Amen. That is a whole other message. That is not what I'm even talking about today, but I was thinking thermostat. That's what I thought of. So, no, we're called. We're called, my friends, to set the culture, to influence it. Jesus taught us throughout his word. He said, my friends, we are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to be a city on a hill, the light of the world. In other words, we are called to make things better, and we are called to make things brighter. We're called to influence culture. We're called to set it. And not reflect it. And that is why Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, the night before he was, went to the cross to give his life for your and I's sins. He said this to God. He said, God, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. And can I just be honest with you? Because, like, that's my prayer most of the time. It's like, dear God, take me away from the crazy people in my life. Not my spouse. She's amazing, okay? But I'm talking about my friends. Some of y'all are like, God, my spouse is driving me nuts. Can you just take me out? Like, my dog, my cat, my brother, my sister, my boss, my coworker. Like, God, just get me out of here, right? Come on, don't leave me alone on this island up here this morning. Like, that's the reality, and that's most of our prayers is, God, get me out of here. Keep me from the world because it's crazy. And we as Christians, we have kind of like this fort mentality, it's like, as Christians, like, let's just hide in the building at the Nea Pacific Center on Sundays. Let's just hide from all the ungodly sinners in the world and all the, all the bad culture and the things that are happening in the world. And Jesus said, no, no, I don't want you out of the world. I want you in the world. And I love what he prayed. He said, God, I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one. Aren't you thankful for the protection of God Almighty in our lives and the world that we live in? So this is the challenge that we face, is how do we live in it, but not become it? How do we live in this world and have influence all up in the middle of its crazy? And so today, what I want to do is I want to expose what I believe is the single greatest culprit of our ungodly society. It's the single greatest culprit of why we're experiencing what we're experiencing in our culture today. It's rooted in one mentality. One mentality. And this is what I've called the message today. It's called the Babylon mentality. Now the book of Daniel, I just need you to understand, we talked about this last week. The book of Daniel is set in a geographic part of the, of the world that was called Babylon. 
Now, Babylon doesn't exist today, but the very dirt of Babylon, where, where it did exist, is modern-day Iraq. And so what I want to submit to you today is that Babylon isn't just a locality, but Babylon is a mentality. I want you to think about that for a second. Because Babylon is basically a spirit. It's a spirit that existed in the Bible then and still exists today. And I'm going to show you this spirit, this Babylon mentality, because I want you to be able to recognize it. It's important for you to be able to recognize it so you can understand how it operates. Because if we can expose the devil's game plan, then he doesn't have a chance or much of a chance to get us caught up in his schemes. Amen? So the scheme that the devil will always start with is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's Satan's lie. And that is, I am all about you. I want you to have what you want to have when you want to have it with who you want to have it with as much as you want to have it. This is the devil's lie to you, to me, and to us and our society and our culture today. It's all about you. In fact, don't even serve God because God's not about you. God is all about himself. This is one of the biggest lies and the biggest tricks of the enemy. And he's done it ever since the beginning of of time. In fact, there are many different versions of the lie. Many of you have probably heard growing up, and maybe in church or maybe not, the story of Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve was God's first creation. And the serpent, the devil, snuck into the Garden of Eden. And he whispered in Eve's ear. And he whispered a lie to her. And he said, hey, did God really say you shouldn't eat the tree? Eat from the tree? And she was like, well, yeah, God did say that. If we eat from the tree, we'll die. No, no, you're not going to die. No. No, what's actually going to happen is you'll become like God. What's the lie that he whispered to her? He got her to question God and got her to elevate herself. And just a few pages further in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 11, we see another story that I want to show you today. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. It says, and, the, and by the way, this is, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't, but we're going to learn a little bit. This is where some of the teaching comes from today. Look at this, Gen- Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. It says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Notice the word ourselves, everybody. In other words, I don't need God to be successful. I just need me, myself, and I. I don't need anybody else. This is all about me. Listen, all of Satan's bets, all of his wagers are on your self-interest. Because he knows that if he can get pride in your heart, He can set chaos and confusion off in every area of your life. Check this out. It goes on to say, Genesis 11, verse 9, that is why it is called Babel. We get the word Babylon from Babel. And this word Babel or Babylon, actually the literal translation means confusion. It means insanity. It's a deranged way of thinking. Because there, look at this, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Listen, when you buy into your own self-interest, when you buy into your own pride and you get to the place where you decide, you know what, I don't need God, I don't need him, I only need me. When we buy into that lie, into that spirit of pride, this Babylon mentality that I'm exposing to you today, chaos and confusion begin to take root 
Some of us in this room today, if we're being honest, we're experiencing chaos and confusion in our marriage. We're experiencing chaos and confusion in our home. We're experiencing chaos and confusion in our finances. We're experiencing it in every aspect of our life, from our relationships with our sons and daughters to our coworkers, even to our bosses. And it's this Babylon mentality that I want to expose to you today. The reason many of us are facing this chaos and the reason many of us are facing this confusion is because we have so much self-interest to ourselves and not toward God or toward other people. And this is what this Babylon mentality will do. It's what we're faced with. Honestly, I submit to you, it's what we're dealing with in our nation today. The riots, the, the racial tension, all the chaos and confusion around COVID, masks, no masks, the chaos and confusion around the election and Supreme Court, all the decisions that are being made in our land. And it is a direct reflection of a culture whose only concern is themselves. And I'll show it to you. In the beginning of the Bible talks about it in Genesis. We just read it. But even the end of the Bible talks about this spirit of Babylon. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It's all about the end times. In chapter 17 and 18, I won't have time to read all of it, but I encourage you, for you extra note takers, read chapter 17 and chapter 18 because it is all about God judging this Babylon mentality. Look at this, Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. What is it saying? It's basically saying everything ungodly is rooted in this Babylon mentality that we're exposing today. In fact, go to the very middle of your Bible, like crack it open right in the middle, and you're going to land right about Isaiah chapter 47, verse 8 through 10. Guess what it's talking about in the middle of your Bible? The heading of chapter 47 is the fall of Babylon. Look at this, 47, 8 through 10 in Isaiah. Now then, listen, to you who are all about what feels good, lovers of pleasure, lounging in your, what I would say, your self-security, this, I don't need God. Oh, man, are you kidding me? And you're saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. Goes on to say, I will never be a widow I'll never suffer the loss of children. I have so much pride. I'm full control of what happens in my life. But notice what God said. No, both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. I can do what I want. I can hide behind this computer screen and nobody knows what I'm doing. It's all about me. I don't need God. Your quote unquote wisdom and knowledge, God says, misleads you when you say to yourself, I am. And there is none besides me. This Babylon mentality, Babylon's motto is I am, and there is none besides me, and it is the biggest trick of the devil. In other words, what is the Babylon mentality? What does it do? We're going to expose it today. The Babylon mentality, this ungodly culture that we live in, elevates self. Write that down. It elevates self. In other words, it's all about me, myself, and I. I'm smarter than God. I know more than God. I love better than God. In fact, I feel like I could write God's laws a little bit better than God. It's this 
It's a very dangerous place to live your life, and it's what we're experiencing in society today. It's this all-about-me mentality, and it comes in the form of being self-adoring. Self-adoring. Come on, man. We live in a selfie generation, don't we? What is up with a duck face? And then you got to get, like, really high, and you got to stick it out a little bit. I look good at 10 feet high in an angle like this. It cuts out the triple chin. I'm loving it. But it's this self-adoring generation. Not only is it self-adoring, but it's self-building. It's only the only person I'm going to trust is me. I don't need you. I don't need God. I don't need anyone. I just need me. I'm going to build my life on my own. In fact, God, you just stay tucked in on a Sunday. And when, if I think I ever need you, I just might show up and come. In fact, you know, if I can add you to the resume and it works out of my benefit that I can build something with you in it, then awesome. But if not, no worries. Until then, you stay put. This is what most people's attitudes are towards God in our society. But not only is it self-adoring, not only is it self-building, but it's also a mentality, this I am, there is none beside me that is self-indulging. If it feels good, baby. Just do it. Do what you want to do when you want to do it, who you want to do it with, how often you want to do it. If it feels good, man, just go for it. It's a narcissistic, hedonistic, humanistic belief in feelings. It's this idea that says there's no loving God who could ever tell me that this is not good for me. In fact, who does he think he is to call this a sin? Man, this is good. It's a dangerous way to live your life. It's a society that we're living in today. But not only is the spirit of Babylon, this mentality that we're exposing today, not only is it self-elevating, but it's also a culture that mocks God in that it lowers, it lowers God. It lowers God. It says things like, God doesn't love me. It says, you know what? If God loved me, man, he would just let me follow my feelings because that is a good God. Can I tell you, God loves you so much that he gave you his one and only begotten son. His name is Jesus Christ. And it's because of his blood, his sacrifice has saved you from sin and gives you the opportunity to have eternal life, hope, joy, peace, and everything good comes from God. He loves you. My friends, God doesn't love me is a lie. It's a lie. God loves you and he is madly in love with you. But the enemy will also lie to you and say, well, God isn't for me. No. He's not on your side. In fact, God is mean. He's outdated. Like, that's old-fashioned, man. The things in the Bible might have worked 2,000 years ago, but they don't work today. He's not for you. My friends, God is for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are created as a masterpiece in the image of God on purpose, for a purpose. He is for you, my friends. And he'll sell this lie to you. He'll say things like, well, God just wants too much from me. I mean, like, he just, he just wants too much. Can I tell you that God is not wanting to take from you? God is wanting to add to you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that I have come so that you could have life and life to the full. Listen, my friends, God is not asking too much from you. He's only asking what he's already given you, and that is your life. And my friends, this is the Babylon mentality. This, I am and there is none beside me. We confront in the name of Jesus 
today so we can begin to experience freedom and begin to experience peace. And so as I dive into this to teach you a little bit more about this, there's one pillar story throughout the book of Daniel that really highlights this mentality. It comes out of Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. It's about King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we talked about last week, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the one that went and besieged the city that Daniel lived in. He besieged it, overtook it, took them as slaves. Why? Because their nation rejected God, and God allowed them to be taken slaves and captive into a foreign land. And so here is King Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked, ungodly king, leading an ungodly culture. This is what he says. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was at home in my palace. I was contented without God, and I was prosperous. In other words, I stood admiring myself. But then he has a dream, everybody. He has a dream of this massive tree. It was so huge. It was beautiful. It was fruitful. It reached to the heavens. It reached to the earth. It reached as far as he could see. And in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, out of all this beauty that he saw on this tree, that stretched out across the entire land that he was over, all of a sudden someone came in and cut down the tree and left it to a stump and its roots. King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from this dream and he's freaking out. He's afraid and he's fearful. He calls his magicians, his enchanters. He calls all the wise men of the land in that day to help me. Like, what happened in this dream? What is going on? I don't know what this dream means, but it means something and I need y'all to figure it out. And nobody could figure it out. Except they remembered that there was this little Hebrew boy by the name of Daniel. And they said, well, I think, I think Daniel hears from God. All my people can't hear from God. Let's pull him in here. And here, here is Daniel influencing culture for God, standing before King Nebuchadnezzar, who could take his head off. And Daniel, in all his boldness, I, I, it just blows me away, you guys. His boldness, he interprets the dream, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, I can tell you exactly what that dream is. In Daniel chapter 4.22, he says, Your majesty... You are that tree. In fact, not only are you that tree, but my brother, you're about to be cut down. And not only are you going to be cut down, but my buddy, you are about to lose your sanity. You're about to go insane. You're about to eat grass like a cow and live in the countryside on your all fours as some insane animal. You're about to lose it. Chaos and confusion is about to enter your mind, is what he's saying. Look at this, Daniel chapter 4, 25 through 26. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you will be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox and drench with the dew of heaven. Now remember, Babylon, the word Babylon means confusion. It means insanity. The word Babylon means deranged thinking. Follow me here. So here we go, watch this. He says, for seven years or seven times, will pass by for you, and you'll live in insanity, King Nebuchadnezzar, until, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. In fact, it goes on to say, and I love this, I don't want you to miss this, please don't miss this verse right here, this is important. Check this out, it says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots Nebuchadnezzar means that your kingdom will be restored. Now, time out. I don't know how many of you, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey today, but I need you to hear this. If there's only one thing that you hear, please hear this. No matter how far you try to walk away from God, God's mercy 
God's compassion. God will always command the leaving of a stump. What does that mean? It means he will always leave the ability in your life to be restored. Aren't you thankful for restoration, everybody? Thank you, Jesus. But restoration only comes, look at the rest of the verse, when you acknowledge that, everybody say it out loud, that heaven rules. When heaven rules. In other words, when you flip the mentality and you realize, you know what, I'm not all that. I thought I was, but I'm not. In fact, God is everything. My friends, when you humble yourself and you acknowledge the fact that God is everything, it's in that moment that sanity, that chaos, that confusion ends. The peace of God begins. I want you to see this. This is important for where we're headed today. But unfortunately, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to the prophecy because this was a prophecy from Daniel. He was interpreting a dream that he had. So look at what happens. Let's read this. Daniel 4, 29 through 33. It says, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the greatest Babylon that I have built? I, like me, myself, like I built this as the royal residence and by my mighty power and not for anybody else's glory, but for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, this Babylon mentality, I am. And there was none besides me. Look at this. It says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. And this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Because of your pride, because of this, I am and there is none beside me. Because of the fact that you think that you did all of this on your own apart from me and that you don't need me. Look at what God does. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and you will experience chaos. You will experience confusion. You will experience insanity. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by or seven years will pass by for you because you are so hard-headed, King Nebuchadnezzar, that it's going to take you seven years to finally get to the place where you figure this thing out. And you realize that you're not all that. Because until you acknowledge that the most highest sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and then he gives them to anyone he wishes... Look at this. It says immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. The prophecy was fulfilled. The dream that Daniel interpreted was fulfilled. It says he was driven away from people and he went insane. He ate grass like the ox. goes on to say his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Y'all, Hollywood ain't got nothing on the Bible. You know what I'm saying? This is crazy. This is reality. This happened. Daniel chapter 4, 34 through 37. I love this. But at the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the seven years of your insanity, look at this. This is what he says. I, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raise my eyes. I raise my eyes toward heaven. In other words, I turn to God. And look at what happened when he turned to God. And my sanity, it was restored. I almost named today's message Sanity restored. Because if there's a call that Americans need to hear today, is that sanity needs to be restored to our land. Amen? We need sanity restored. And look at the rest of this verse. King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, Then I praised, 
I praise the Most High. I put my trust in God. I honored him. I glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. We are not all that. I thought we were all that, but we're not. We're simply God's creation. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, the same time his confusion was gone, the chaos and peace began to enter his life again. It says his honor and his splendor were returned to him for the glory of his kingdom. He goes on to say, my advisors and nobles, they sought me out, and I was restored to my throne, and I became even greater than before. My friends, when you humble yourself, God will not only restore you, he will bless you with even greater. This is what this is saying. He'll bless you. So he closes this out. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I figured it out. It's not about me. It's about God. I'm going to praise and exalt, and I'm going to glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride take my word for it as King Nebuchadnezzar, who just went insane and was just restored This God, he is able to humble. So what do we need to do in the midst of the chaos? What do we need to do in the midst of confusion? What do we need to do in this ungodly culture, this Babylon mentality? I am and there is none beside me. How do I experience sanity amongst the confusion? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Three things that we learned from this story that I want to encourage you today that will change your life. Your sanity will be restored, and the peace of God will begin to enter your heart. You ready for this? Number one, write this down. There's three I wills. The first one is I will exalt God. I will exalt God. And I'm not just talking about going to church on a Sunday, just singing a couple of songs for one hour out of a week. No, I'm talking about making exalting God a part of every part of your life, a part of your marriage, a part of your home, a part of your relationships. I'm talking about living this Psalm 145, verse 1, that David said, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Listen, if you want to stand firm, if you want to live well in a culture of compromise, my friend, you have got to learn the art of saying that I will exalt my God. It's not a matter of lip service. It's a matter of walking this thing out every day of my life, in my marriage, in my home, in my family, in my finances, at work, in my career. It's getting to the place where you recognize that you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the creator of the earth, who was, who is, and is to come be all blessing, glory, honor, power, and praise to the Lamb of God. Come on, if you believe that, lift your voice with me. Magnify God this morning. I will exalt my God. My friends, when you exalt God, you will not exalt yourself. Why? Because God's God's word says his presence dwells in the praises of his people. When the power and the presence of God shows up through your praise and through magnifying him, chaos, confusion has to leave. If you want to experience sanity, if you want to experience restoration, 
from the chaos and confusion that is your life, my friend, it's time to begin to exalt God. And let it be said of us, my friends, in this culture of compromise, that we stand firm and we magnify the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen? Here's the second thing. Not only will we exalt God, but we will, we will acknowledge God. We'll make the declaration that, you know what, God? I'm going to acknowledge you. Listen, when King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God, his sanity was restored. His words were, God, everything you do is right. All your ways are just. When he acknowledged the truth, his sanity was restored. And I just want to encourage you today to get to the place where we acknowledge that God's word is true. He's right. Well, I think it's outdated. It's mean. It's old-fashioned. Listen, you can call it that if you want. God's word is true. I'm going to build my life upon his word because it's his word that brought me to the truth of realizing that I can be saved, set free, forgiven, healed, blessed, and be called a son of the most high living God. And I stand here today blessed because of the word of God. And I don't care if they try to pass laws that tell me that I can't talk about certain parts of the Bible. Go ahead and put the handcuffs on me, man. I don't care. I am preaching God's truth and his word. It is alive, it is real, it is active, and it will change your life. If you want chaos and confusion to leave your home, to leave your family, if you want chaos and confusion to leave your mind, your will and emotions, if you want your sanity restored, my friend, you have got to learn not only to exalt God, but you've got to learn how to acknowledge God and his word as truth. Culture can say what it wants. My life belongs to Jesus, everybody. I love the way 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, what in the world are you so puffed up about? Like, who do you think you are? This is how I read the Bible, everybody. Who do you think you are? Like, what do you have that God hasn't given you? I know you think you got it all together right now, but who gave you the breath that you breathe, my friend? Who gave you the heart within your body to beat right now? Who gave you your hands? Who gave you your feet? Who gave you your eyes? Who gave you everything that you have right now? You didn't give it to yourself. You came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave it with nothing, my friend. God gave you everything. So what are you so puffed up about? I am and there is none beside me. I don't think so. What do you have God hasn't given you? I built this business. No, you didn't. Everything I have is mine. I did it. No. Look at the rest of the verse. All you have is from God. All you have is from God, so why act as though you've accomplished something on your own? No, 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 no. We've got to get to the place where we acknowledge, God, that everything I have, God, everything I have is yours. God, I will exalt you. I'll acknowledge you. Everything, God, that I have is because of you. It's not because of me. I am nothing. You are everything. I'm trying to give you the secret to peace. I'm trying to give you the secret to sanity. I'm trying to give you the secret this morning from God's word of how we live in a culture of compromise, how we face this Babylon mentality in the world that we live in. We, we live in it. It's a reality. How do we face it? We have to learn how to exalt God. We have to learn how to get to the place where we acknowledge God. When you live this way, culture cannot touch you. I'm telling you, it will not touch you. Here's number three. I'll exalt God. I'll acknowledge God. Here's number three. I will humble myself. 
It's a place where I humble myself before the Lord. And here's the truth, everybody. Humility is coming. You can initiate it. Our culture will initiate it. You can initiate it. Or the devil will initiate it. You can initiate it or God will initiate it. Humility is coming. Either it's humility or humiliation. One or the other. It's coming. In fact, it's kind of already here in America. This I am. There is none beside me mentality. It leads to chaos. It leads to confusion. We just saw that in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. But peace, sanity, Confusion gone, chaos annihilated, peace of God is restored to those who exalt God, those who acknowledge God, those who humble themselves. And that is why the Bible says this in James chapter 4, verse 10. Hey, One Life Church, let's be the men and women who humble yourselves before the Lord. And I love this because God is so amazing. He doesn't leave us in our mess. He doesn't leave us in our confusion. He doesn't leave us in the chaos. No, instead, he will lift you up. What is it saying? It says he will restore you. God will breathe life into you. God will give you peace that transcends all your understanding in a culture of compromise. How do we live? How do we live godly in an ungodly culture? How do we stand for truth? How do we stand for grace? How do we live with our sanity restored? Here's the secret, my friends. Write this down. The secret of standing strong in a pride-inflated culture. It begins face down. It begins face down. My pastor would always tell me, there's one thing that he would never want me to forget. Is he would say, Rep, a man on his face can never fall from that position. And I'm just saying, what would it look like what would it look like in the midst of the chaos and confusion that we're in in America and our society and the culture? I mean, what would it look like if there were men and women of God who decided, you know what, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm going to be a part of the sanity being restored. What would it look like if men and women of God said, you know what, despite what I see, I'm going to exalt my God because I know who he is. What would it look like if we began to stand for truth and grace and acknowledge the fact that God's word is true and, and we began to let our lives reflect that of what God's scripture says? What would it look like if if we just decided every day that we wake up to realize that this life is not about me. It's not about myself. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about, it's about serving other people. What would it look like if I just decided to recognize, you know, God, I humble myself. I just lay my life down before you and because, God, you're all that. And a bag of chips. Amen, somebody. I don't think that's cool anymore. I don't think the kids are saying that, but, you know. Just dated myself. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. We'll be here another few minutes. God, today, we humble ourselves before you. We recognize, God, that we need you. God, we know there's arrogant lies that say we're great, and you're not. But, God, we come against those lies in the name of Jesus. And today, God, we repent of this spirit of I am and there is none beside me. We repent of it, God. And we humble ourselves before you. And we will exalt you. We will honor you. We will glorify you. We will magnify you. We will acknowledge your truth and your word. And walk in it with grace. 
God, ultimately, we will humble ourselves before you. Now, God, I pray peace. I pray sanity. I pray that confusion and chaos that is attacking the lives and the families that are here today, I come against those lies in the name of Jesus. I come against the spirit of fear. I come against the spirit of chaos. I come against this Babylon mentality that is alive and well in our world today. And we come against it in the name of Christ. And we speak peace over every family, peace over every home, peace over every marriage, peace and restoration of sanity, God, in every relationship at work and with every business. Peace in the name of Jesus. Some of you are here today. And uh, you're like, Red, I would really love for my sanity to be restored. But, you know, all this talk about God, I, honestly, if you're just being truthful this morning, you would say, I don't even, I don't have a relationship with God. And I want you to know that that can change here in the next moment. When you walk out of this room today, you can, you can leave here restored. You can leave here with peace. You can leave here with hope. You can leave here with the love of God, and his name is Jesus. What is sin? Sin basically says, you know, sin is going my way. What is salvation? Salvation just basically says, you know what? I'm not going my way anymore. I'm going God's way. That's what salvation is. It's not about going to church. It's not about, you know, praying or giving or doing anything that looks Christian. Coming into a relationship with God is simply just coming to a place where you surrender your life to him. So if you're in this room today and you want to give your heart to Christ. Maybe you're in this room today and you're like, you know what, I have at one time, but I walked away and I, I just want to come home. I want to come back into the loving arms of my Father. Whoever you are, wherever you are, today is the day, now is the time. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you in, in, in any way, I promise. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you're like, hey, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. I want to come into a relationship with him. Would you be so bold as to raise your hand right now? Nobody's looking around. God bless you, sir. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. It's not about a hand raised, but it is about a heart that connects with God. Would you say a simple prayer like this? Just say, Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for my sin. Forgive me. Change me. Come live on the inside of me. I declare you as my Lord and my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you today. I give you my life. I give you everything. I pray this and I say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you in my life and to help me make a difference. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, listen to me. Hey, if you made that decision today, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. But if that's you today, that is the single greatest decision of your entire life, my friend. And that is the first step in your spiritual journey. But I want you to know there's other steps to take. And we want to help you with those next steps. But the only way that we can help you with those next steps is if we know you made the decision. So how can we know that? Well, on our online connection card at olc.church, you can fill it out and mark the online connection card that says, hey, I made a decision today. And we'll simply send you an email that gives you some simple next steps. Or maybe you want to fill out the, the uh, physical copy that was in your worship guide today. You can fill that one out as well. You can drop that in the container on the way out of the service today. But either way, we want to congratulate you and send you some simple next steps. Hey, One Life Church, we had some hands go up this morning. Make some decisions for Jesus. Come on, let's celebrate. Come on, celebrate. Let them know how much you love them. Way to go. Welcome home.